Good morning, everybody. Now, most of you have been bored with us before, many years ago. We told you all these, you know about our life story so much, and yet there's a new generation who doesn't. And um, I was asked to uh, give testimony today, and we were supposed to bring somebody along, and I thought, who better than Sim? And uh, many of you haven't heard from her for many a year. She's struggling. We've, we've both got this disease. I might say um, you've got to be pretty strong to be old. <laughs> because when you get older, there's so many things come on you. And uh, Sim, as you can see, is, has her problem with uh, her arthritis. So it's just as well we're sitting down today. Thanks for coming, Sim, because... Uh, You've got a lot to share. I want to share a verse of scripture, or a couple of verses of scripture, from 1 Peter 3, and um, from verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And that's one of the lovely things about being able to give a testimony is that, you know, we can give it with gentleness. We don't have to hammer anyone over the head. And in actual fact, from experience, um, both at home and overseas, we've always found that gentleness and respect are a very, very strong thing to bring with you. Now, I thought I'd start this morning by telling you about one of the greatest things that happened in my life other than being saved. And that's when I met Sim. <laughs> and uh, I'm talking now 57 and a half years later. So... Uh, Actually, I met her a couple of years before we got married, so that's coming up to 59 years. And uh, so we're really stacking on the age, the age bit, aren't we? What happened was I'd given myself to the Lord and uh, I'd uh, been sent, I qualified as a pharmacist in England and I was working in Bournemouth in southern England in a shop and very quickly, soon after I qualified, the company asked me, phoned me up, and well, they didn't ask me, they just sent me. They said, we want you to go over to the island of Jersey in the Channel Islands and um, want you to work there in the uh, pharmacy there. So I went over there and um, I was wet behind the ears as far as Christianity was concerned too. I had very little teaching. I'd come from a non-Christian home. Had, and I'd been studying hard at college, but I never forgot that I belonged to Jesus, and I, I can add to that later. But one of the things I did was I was a pretty lonely guy. I'd been to a boys' school all my life. I didn't know what those other things with the skirts were. And, uh, and uh, I soon can tell you the sort of guy I was where I wore plastic collars and white shirts. <laughs> And she, believe me, she let me know about that later. But um, and they were yellowing collars. <laughs> the plastic used to go. But uh, I went over there, and I was happily working there for a little while. But I was still pretty lonely. There was another 
a young pharmacist who'd been sent over and we were living in the same boarding house there. And I was still feeling lonely and I wanted to meet somebody and I didn't know how to do it. So do you know what I did? I did something that's very unusual. I prayed. I prayed that the Lord would show me the girl I was to marry. And you know, I was so sure that God was speaking to me that I went out one night to a dance hall. Um, what was it called? The, um, what? the which one? I can't remember. Ritz, I think. The Ritz, that's right. The Ritz Hotel, that was the one. And uh, it was just mostly young people sitting around and dancing. Dancing was a very decent thing to do in those days and very gentlemanly. I'd had a class or two, though my wife tells me now that there's no way I could have. <laughs> but uh, I went along there and I knew that that night I was going to meet the right girl. I just had absolutely sure of it. And who could I do? I was looking around the room. In those days you went and asked somebody if they would dance. So I went over and I saw this table with about four girls. And I can tell you, we've still got a picture. I nearly brought it. And I thought, no, I'll get crowned if I do. So uh, uh, I, um, I saw this girl sitting in the middle. And the moment I saw her, I knew she was the one. Well, I asked her for a dance and she accepted. She was terribly, terribly shy. She was so shy that when she used to go out, she used to go, go um, past the, a bus queue. And rather than walk past the bus queue, she walked right round the block. That's how shy Sim was. <laughs> And uh, she was just, what, 19 at that time. And, uh, but I knew she was the right one and I spent the night talking with her and chatting and I got her to, took her to the bus to go home. And I came back to the place where we were staying and the guy who stayed there with me, he said, was that, did you find the girl tonight? And I said, yes, I did. I've met her. Her name is Sim. And, you know, from that point on, I just knew. Um, somehow or other, we got together. And God brought us together. And eventually, in 1961, when we got married, I knew that she was the girl that God has given me. And, you know, I still know that. It's just one of those wonderful things. But I want you to... Hear what she has to say now. She's got a, a testimony of her own of how God took us. And, you know, he took us out to the mission field. And every time, whatever we've done, it's always been the two of us. We used to have a, play an a audio-visual when we came back from Liberia. And it said, we're a team here in Liberia. We're still a team here in Australia. Yeah, I remember those days. That's true about his collar. I could not believe a plastic collar. <laughs> it was just his natural handsomeness that carried him through. <laughs> you know, it was, it, it was so different in those days. Um, <clears throat> I only went to that tea dance. I didn't believe in them much. But I went to it because it was somebody's birthday. And... Uh, uh, Days and days and years and years ago, but you know all those all those times in in um, Jersey there, I was always into church. Always, we went to an Anglican church then, <coughs> and um, sorry, 
I caught your cold, Bob. <clears throat> um, and I was in everything, sang in the choir, went to the Sunday school, uh, always there for the meetings, taking in everything. In fact, I even wanted to be a missionary back then. But even then I knew that I wasn't right because I used to say to myself, what in the world would I tell them? I don't know what I'd tell them if I went. Anyway, the time came along, we got married, came over here and we arrived when David, we arrived in Kerrang when David turned 28. That is a few years ago. <laughs> and uh, we started to attend church here under Wilbur Cook. He was the minister then. He could teach the Old Testament. It was, it was just so real. It was so real. And you'd listen. And, and have you ever had that sort of feeling that, oh, that minister's talking right at me, you know, when you want to go <laughs> get out of the way quick? Well, it was like that. And I remember one particular week. I, we loved it. We, we took in all of these things. And then I remember one particular week when we'd had... Mm, don't believe that story when, when people say, we've never had a crossword in our marriage. That means one of you hasn't got a mind of their own. <laughs> the, um, one week we'd been particularly um, arguing over something. And I'm sitting just about down there, and Mr. Cook was speaking about Miriam and Aaron. You know when they, they had this gang up against um, um, <clears throat> Moses? And pastor was preaching, and he, he said, um, and God said, who are you to talk about against the man that I've put in charge? This is my man. This is the man I deal with face to face. And um, he said, who are you to argue to Miriam? And he said, you. She was a leper. He turned her into a leper. He said, you're going to wait out in the desert now for a whole week to teach you a lesson. Anyway, we went out the back and... Mr. Cook was waiting to say goodbye. I shook hands with him and I said to him, oh, Mr. Cook, I won't need a whole week. I got that message fine. I won't need to be in the desert for a week. Did Dave tell you what we were arguing about? And he, he was shocked. He said, no, we never, I never preach at anybody. Well, I was so certain he was talking to me. And um, no, he said, I certainly wasn't. Anyway, we went on, on, and then I felt... I didn't understand any of this. You know, I'd always thought the way a lot of Anglican folk do, I mean, there are wonderful ones in this country too, but <clears throat> I'd always thought that Jesus came, people were bad to him, they captured him, they killed him, and it was terrible. But under Mr. Cook, I suddenly saw Jesus came because he wanted to. He came to die for me. For all of us, he came to die. That was his plan. And I suddenly realized it was for me. And I spoke to Mr. Cook and I said, look, Mr. Cook, I've, I've been actually baptized and all. Because Dave was baptized back in England. And, and I was too. And I guess now, looking back, I was just being neat. The water was there, Bob. And I thought, well, I'll do it too. <laughs> but, you know, I said to Mr. Cook, could you please baptize me again? I want to tell people that now I understand. And he said, what makes you think that I'd even think of, of baptizing you a second time? And I said, well, I'd like you to. 
Anyway, he came back to me after a week and he said, I will. And he did. And it was wonderful coming on here after seeing baptisms. Do you know, that day was the start of, of everything for us. It was, it was a start. From then on, everything just sank in, sank in, sank in, you know. And in the end, we were called. And through all of life, it, we've had tough times, you know. We've had wonderful times. We've had glorious times. We've had family times. All the things that happen to ordinary people as they get old. And God has always been enough. He's always been there. He's always been the one who's taken us through. He's always been enough. It's been, it's been amazing. He's enough for, for we old people. Dave was saying before, you know, being old is not for wimps. You know now, you, those of you who are old. It, you've got to be tough to be old. Nothing works properly anymore. <laughs> but, um, and, and God is enough for that. He's wonderful for us. He, he's plenty for all you folk who are still in it, up to your necks in work for the Lord. He's, he's plenty for all of you. He's perfect for all of you to help you. He's ideal for all you young ones. You know, he's just what you need. You're all energy, vitality. Yeah, I said energy, vitality. You are. The kids in our family aren't. I've never known anyone sleep as long as they do. But, but your strength is there as your young people. Trust him. Trust him for absolutely everything. He'll do it. The main reason I wanted to come up today is about, for a long, long time now, I've been boring David out of his wits, saying to him, what can I do? I can't even walk straight without two sticks. I can't, you know, Bob tells us all these wonderful ways of, of um, uh, reaching people. It's not for me. I can't say to people, I'm reading the Bible, will you read it with me? I can't, that's not who I am, you know. And um, I always was saying to Dave, and I, what I call us is our people. We're the used to be's. I know this because Dave and I walk two kilometers every night. It is murder. It's murder. We go slowly, um, but I moan. First 10 minutes, Dave gets a medical update. What's hurting, what isn't hurting, uh, how I can't manage, how, how I'm never going to walk again. I, how many times I've told him that, but every night I put my shoes on, put my balaclava on, put everything on, ready to go out, and out we go. And so for 10 minutes, I'm moaning. After that, it's just the best time because uh, you wives know you don't get much time face on face with your husband to talk. He's either on the phone, he's reading, he's on the computer, he's somewhere. But when you're walking, you've got him all to yourself. And uh, we talk about all sorts of stuff, you know, family and everything. But sooner or later, we get to remember when we used to, we're the used to's. <laughs> I say to him, remember when I used to tear past you, then come back from the corner with the dog and, and to be where you are and talk to you when we're walking? You know, those days are gone. That's how we were. But just about five weeks ago, and I was always saying, I can't preach. I can't, I don't, don't seem able to reach people the same as I used to. And uh, God showed me something, and it was wonderful, in, in Oswald Smith's book. 
Is it Oswald? Yeah. Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers' book. I, I read it all the time. He said, stop worrying about what you can do for God. He said, the moon, the sun, the stars, they're all doing exactly what God wants them to do. And the only way they do it is by focusing on God. And it said to me, focus on God. Focus on God all the time and he'll make the opportunities for you to speak and to love people and to work with people. And, it, and it's so true. It's, that's what we've got to do. He said he started it right in the beginning with Abraham, 17 I think it was, where he said, you walk before me. Walk before me and that means live. Live in front of me, focused on me. Live in front of me and in integrity, in the sort of way you're supposed to live. Live the way I want you to live in front of me and I'll handle everything else. And I love it. And that's the plan for me as we go on. You know, we, it's, it's hard to know where to start because as a church, especially among the older people, you know our history, you've read our book, you've done all that sort of stuff. But there's been some things that have been worthwhile. And, um, you know, one of the things we've seen is the grace of God in uh, giving us everything that we need when we've needed it. Um, Sim, would you like to say something about how God uh, provided for us over the years? The many things, um, selling our house and going, um, you know, having no car and yet getting that and... You know, those sort of things that have happened. Yes, God, God did all that for us, especially in the years when we left here to go to Bible college. We were broke. We, we were trying to sell our house here. It took ages to sell, and it was only £7,000. Can you imagine it? And we couldn't find anyone to buy it. But the ladies here were praying like mad uh, that we'd be able to sell. It, it was just amazing how God provided for us. Uh, I remember one particular time when, when we were really shocked. Back in those glorious days, you could buy a side of two-tooth lamb for about 28 shillings. 28 shillings for a side. And um, I used to cut it when we were at Bible college. I used to cut it into 14 pieces. One, so it lasted us two weeks. And we used to have a bit. I had these famous recipes you know, where I could take a bit, cut off the leg, bash it thoroughly, do it with onions, and we'd kid ourselves it was steak, you know, it was really nice. But, um, yeah, and God did everything. One time we were really low on money, very low on money, and uh, very concerned, and I was knitting, and every night I used to knit like mad, um, so I wouldn't eat, and, um, and study for, for college. And... Uh, I ran out of my wool and uh, I said to Dave, this is enough. He said, we got no money for food. Uh, everything's going wrong. I've got to study all this stuff and now I've got no wool. And I suddenly thought, oh, wait a minute. Beth Bremner bought, bought me some wool once when we were on, on, uh, went out with them for the day when they were visiting us. I said, I think it might be the same because I always bought beige or white, you know, and that's the sort of person I am. And um, sure enough, it was fine. I undid the label, and Bev had put a $5 note in the, in, under the label. 
Wasn't that fantastic? That's just a thing of how God, and God did this sort of thing right through our lives. It was, it was amazing. Um, just tiny little things that showed he loved us and he was looking after us. It was amazing. Another time when we were um, in need of um, our car, we didn't know how we'd ever afford a car. And a lady who was, well, we're still in touch with her, her name's Pauline um, Logan now, but she was Pauline Chilver in the, those days, a nurse at Sodu Hospital in Ethiopia, southern Ethiopia. And uh, she had no use, she had a, a Land Rover, and she found, she used to lend it to me. Anyway, we were starting to move over to Dila, and I was thinking, how on earth are we going to have transport when we get there? Up comes Pauline. She says, I really don't have any use for this car. Here's the keys. Just like that. And it wasn't the only time. Um, later on, when we moved to Addis Ababa, at the end of the, uh, before we finished uh, in Ethiopia, I found the Land Rover was too expensive to drive because of the petrol it used up and it was um, so expensive to run. And uh, one of our missionaries there was going home permanently and he had a, an Alfa Romeo of all things and uh, he'd had the money given to him to buy it at some point. It was an old one but it worked and um, uh, he said, I heard you were interested in this and I said, oh Les, I'm sorry, there's no way I can have this because um, I, we just don't have that kind of money. And he said, who asked for money? Hands me the keys to an Alfa Romeo. I tried to have a speedometer corrected. That was the only thing that wasn't working. And the Italian guy in the garage said, Mr. Senator, why do you want, why do you want a speedometer? There isn't a police car in this country could catch you in this. <laughs> <laughs> Town and country horns, you'd love it, Bob. <laughs> but that's the sort of thing that he did. And we were able to give our Land Rover to somebody else and later on the other car too, to other missionaries. And that's how God works. He provided us all the way through. He's been so gracious. And even now, um, when we came home from Africa, um, we'd, we'd come home for a short time because Gillian um, was in need of medical treatment. And we came and we got pretty well kicked out of Ethiopia anyway at that time with the communists. And um, we were home for a few years and the Lord showed us how to buy a, a shop, a pharmacy in Maryborough, the Maryborough in Victoria, not Maryborough in Queensland. And uh, the way we got that was pretty amazing. And uh, we uh, were allowed to pay it off as we went. And God provided for us. And the sh everything we touched seemed to turn to gold. And I don't know how, but it, was, it turned from being the tiniest shop in the town to the busiest. And um, eventually we found we could go back to the field. He changed our field to Liberia. That's another story. But there again, we sold the pharmacy and uh, we gave all the money. We put it into a savings account. And we were able to come and buy a house here in uh, Kerrang. And that gave our kids a, a centre somewhere where they could live. And that's a wonderful thing for us. And we were so thankful to God. And we went over to the field. We thought we'd spend all our money. And we went over. We handed uh, our... Um, 
what was left to a friend to manage for us. And we went off uh, for another seven years to, to Liberia. And the Lord was using us over there. And uh, when we came home, we had to come home when uh, our son was old enough for uni. And it turned out our kids were in need. So we had to stay for a while. And um, the, there was a pharmacy over in... Um, oh, well, before this happened, uh, I should say, we barely got back and I got a phone call from the tax department. And the tax department said to us, um, we, you haven't been declaring your interest. And I said, I beg your pardon? Interest on what? I, oh, I said, I know what you're talking about. We've been getting the children's allowance and it's been put into a Bendy, uh, it was a, not Bendigo, Sandhurst um, Building Society account. Um, and um, I said, that's, you know, we, we, we were planning to uh, declare that. Now we're home and it's just been being put in and it's built up a little bit. He said, I'm not talking about that. He said, that's, that's fine. Don't worry about that. We're quite happy about that. He said, I'm talking about interest on about $50,000. I said, $50,000? Are you kidding? I said, if we've got that, I'd love to have it. But uh, I said, I think there's been some mistake made somewhere. Well, he said, um, he said look, you do some searching out. He said, uh, go and look at the Bendigo Bank. And I said, Bendigo Bank? We didn't know that Sandhurst Building Society had been absorbed and they never con contacted us. Sim found this little tiny book in our stuff that was handed back to us. But what we didn't know was what was left over from the sale of the shop and after selling the house, buying the house had grown because the interest rate at that time, it was one of these high rate ones, 18% per annum interest. A little better than today, isn't it? And uh, it had grown up to 50,000. We found this little book. Well, we went and explained it to the tax department and the guy just laughed. He said, well, I'm not going to fine you. He said, we'll make you pay interest for a couple of years. But he said, that's, that's wonderful. So we had enough money in the bank that we didn't expect. And it was the tax department that gave it to us. How'd you like that? <laughs> we wouldn't have known about it otherwise. And then when the Lord got us into the business in uh, buying a pharmacy in, in Kahuna, um, there we had the money to be able to take a portion of that. So that's how God has dealt with in our lives. He, we found we don't need to worry about money. And that's the way he's done. Now, wanting to share with you on something that was worthwhile that you hadn't heard maybe before, but the thing I think is the most, I wanted to share just the, the one important thing in our lives that really made such a difference to me in my walk with the Lord. You know, uh, that passage I gave you before, it's, it's always been this thing, always being ready to share what God has done. And I wanted to share this little bit with you this morning. I was having trouble just before we left Ethiopia. In our last few years, the communists took over and it was a pretty sordid place to be. It was so difficult. People were being fooled into thinking that communism would help them. And um, we were up against it. But the Lord did some amazing things 
For example, uh, there was a, a revival in the area in Darasa where we were. It's now called Gedio. And um, we saw in three months 20,000 people turn to Christ in our area. Churches that had been empty were suddenly filled. And the Lord did an amazing job there. No speaking in tongues, no doing this, all the fancy stuff that, that usually you hear about where these things happen. Just people repenting and turning to Christ. Biggest privilege of our lives. But the main thing that happened to me was personal. They had something called the Zamacha. That's a group of young people were sent out into the villages from the colleges, from the universities. And they said they were to go and work and to live in the people, with the people and show them the way, how to use their spades and all this stuff. And a lot of guff it was. But among them, we got some in Dila, where we were stationed, who um, were um, Pentecostals. And uh, they'd come from a Pentecostal background. And they came, and they were lovely Christians. Don't get me wrong. These kids were good. And I started wondering, am I giving everything to God that I wanted to give? Should I be speaking in tongues? Is there something wrong with me? Now, I struggled with this and struggled with it. Because I wanted to give God back what he wanted. And then one day, I was sent. I started reading the scriptures and looking and searching and I read several books that showed me that not necessarily what God wants of me and um, one day something happened in a place called Burji just up the road from us well about six hours drive um, across some pretty rugged country and uh, one of the ministers well he's a, a minister now a Baptist minister, funnily enough, he even taught at the Bible College up in Queensland. But um, Max Davidson, his name was, and he was at our station, and he'd been coming from Burji, where he was working with the people there. And um, his wife Mary was left behind, and a, an ex-school teacher had come back and started threatening her. And he said, well, what can I do? And I, he, he said, can you take me back there? And I said, yeah, sure. So it's only six hours. I thought I'll stay overnight. And that's the only time I've only taken a toothbrush with me. And the way you always want to travel, you know, just a toothbrush. Because I was thinking I'll come back in the morning. But unfortunately, on the way there, the rains began. And when it rains in Ethiopia, it rains. And uh, the rivers start to flood almost immediately. You get inches of water, flash flooding. And happily, I had some chains with the car, with my Land Rover. And that's another reason why I had the Land Rover, I guess. And we went into the station. Eventually, we got there oh, hours and hours later. And um, we managed to make it. Got him home. But I was stranded there for about three days with only a toothbrush, which didn't help much. And um, then I decided it was time to come back. Now, what I didn't tell you was there was a war going on in that area between the Burji and the Koira people and the Gujigalas. And it was pretty dangerous country. That's the area where a couple of our missionaries before the war um, were martyred. 
by the uh, tribesmen and uh, pretty dangerous country and I had a Guji Gala Christian fellow with me in the car to keep me company. Well, we came down the mountain on a track, I suppose you could call it a track, where I had to have him standing in front and telling me where to put my wheel coming down and it was pretty scary getting down there and uh, as we were doing it, he was holding uh, the bag with the uh, flask in and it wasn't a metal flask and somehow or other crash and uh, that broke and I thought oh oh well there's water on the way we can find there's plenty of water around we won't go too badly on that so we bumped our way and we kept going and I was doing quite well until we got to a flooded area and I had mud tires on my Land Rover I didn't have a winch and we were halfway across this thing and the thing broke down, right in the middle of the water. And we tried and tried to get a footing, we tried everything we could, and nothing would work. And we were stuck there with a war and the rain. Um, and the rain had stopped, but the water kept coming from this flash flood, and there I was, how do we get out of here? I said to uh, the Gujigala guy, I said, maybe we should walk from here. And he said, no, it's too dangerous. There's um, uh, what do they call them? Uh, shifters, which are uh, they're, they're robbers, <laughs> and they don't hesitate to kill you just to get your clothes. And uh, he said it's too dangerous to do that, so that wasn't going to be a good idea in that part. So we decided we'd stay in the car all night, and I couldn't sleep because I had to keep an eye open in case some of the war people came along. And I thought, what a wonderful time. I had to argue this out with God. What does he want of me? And I spent the entire night in prayer, just speaking to God and asking him about this problem I had. And he spoke to me in the night and he said, look, David, I don't need you to do that. You don't need what, what you don't need. I've gifted you with what gifts you want. Go back and don't worry. And so in the morning, at the crack of dawn, as soon as we got light, we tried again to see if we could get out. And I thought, well, let's see if we can get out. Do you know we got out? Found a way out. And uh, we hit the main road. I went through a lot of the bush, the chaka, as we call it. And eventually I got to Dealer, and all you could see was this red thing covered in red mud and a little hole where I could see through. And, that was, and I myself was just about... Uh, coated in it um, everything was we were trying to get in the mud I had boots on but the, the water was too the mud was so high that it went into my boots and everything so it wasn't a very nice situation but I was on top of the world because he told me that that's what I needed and from that moment on I gave my heart to the Lord I said Lord I got down on my knees and I said Lord if you want to kill me you can kill me if you want to use me you can use me but I'm yours now I don't care what you do. And from that point on, I decided that I gave myself limb by limb to the Lord. It's nothing new in that. Others have done this. And I gave my hands, my feet, my mind, my life to Christ at that point. And, you know, that's when God started to really start using me. I came home on furlough, for example. Um, my mother was supposed to be dying in America 
in um, New Zealand. I went over there, missed the plane because they didn't forgot to tell me the plane left in the night, not in the morning. And um, I, I got there and she'd accepted Christ as her saviour that night and she'd recovered. And that was wonderful. We came back on the plane and I was sitting at the front of the plane and uh, there was a guy sitting next to me and he kept looking back and I said, what's the matter? And he said, my wife is at the back and I'm in the front. He said, they couldn't keep us seated together. I said, well, that's nothing. No, that's no problem. And I spoke to the stewardess and I said, look, I don't mind swapping. So I went to the back the very back row of the plane, and they got together. And I thought, oh, that's wonderful. It's only three hours to Melbourne after all. And uh, I sat down next to this lady. And that lady there was sitting next to me. I got talking. And uh, before we got off the plane, she'd accepted Christ. And she went on to England, which you know. Never heard from her again. And that's how God uses you when you belong to him. And that's the lesson... Probably the, the thing that I could say is so worthwhile. And just I just beg you to just give yourselves. When you give yourself to Christ, it doesn't matter how old you are. You don't need anything more than he does. Anyone who's saved is saved by the Holy Spirit, not by me. It's his work. And he uses us in wherever we are if we belong to him. And that's all I can say. And... Uh, we want to leave you with that. That's a, our time's up and uh, a bit over, but may the Lord bless you as you go on. Right. Well, it, 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 let's just pray uh, and we'll close the service. We won't, we won't do another song to finish. We'll go from here and morning tea, but let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that, that we can open our mouths and that we can share what you have done in our lives, in us and through us. And Lord God, we do ask that you would stir us up. Those of us who, who have been through our own dark nights, you know, those of us who have had those moments where we just need to sit down and get raw with you. Lord God, would you help us to share those stories with other people, to build them up, to support them and to encourage them that we can hear these, these other sort of snippets, these other chapters of the way that you've worked in, in, in the lives of, of each other. Lord Jesus, we say thank you this morning for Sim and for David. Thank you for the journey that you've had them on. And Lord God, we look forward to seeing what you were continuing to do in them and through them, both in the life of this church and abroad. Lord Jesus, thank you this morning. All God's people said, Amen. All right, please stick around um, for morning tea, um, for some tea and some coffee. Um, make sure that you hug Michael before he leaves the building. It is his birthday this week. Um, and God bless you and have a wonderful week.